Welcome. You're listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. This podcast is created by the nonprofit organization Stories Behind the Stars. Our organization has the enormous goal of researching and writing a story for every American military service member who was killed in World War II. That's over 400,000 individuals. This may seem impossible, but just like it looked impossible for the Allies to defeat Hitler when America jumped into the war, this is possible with your help. We need volunteers, and we need people who are willing to listen to these stories and share them. This podcast was created so that you can hear some of these stories as we find them in our journey. These stories are full of amazing acts of heroism, simple acts of kindness, and just quality of life and love. So thank you for being part of this journey. Before you start listening to the podcast, though, do us a huge favor. Please consider following or subscribing to this. That way, every time we we launch a new episode, you can get notified right away. Also, I would really help us if you were to take a minute and write a comment or review. This helps other people know about the podcast and whether the content is worth listening to. Thank you so much and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Brian Fussfield. Did I say that right, Brian? Your last you name? did. <laughs> Could you take a second and introduce yourself and tell us kind of what brought you to this project? Absolutely. So, hi, everyone. My name is Brian Flussfield. I'm a Stories Behind the Stars volunteer, writer, story reviewer, uh, media guy, etc. I try to help out however I can. I'm 27 years old. I live in Denver, Colorado. And um, I came across Stories Behind the Stars just searching for ways I could volunteer on a Veterans Day in 2020. You know, I was sitting around in my house during the pandemic. I was, I'm a huge, huge World War II history buff. As a younger guy, it's just always been something I've been interested in and i can dive into that further <laughs> how i really got to where i'm at today but yeah i was looking for a way to volunteer my time and i came across a local news article in colorado about um story behind the stars and don and emailed don he responded right away i, I was writing stories within a few days after that and uh it's kind of been literal history ever since and um so i've been with the project almost a year now and i'm just so proud to be part of the team um it's it's something I, I tell all my friends and family about. My grandma's proud of it. <laughs> and it's just something I, I really treat as a, a passion and a hobby at the same time. So, you know, when I when I finish work or I have some free time on a weekend and my brain gets uh, thinking like, oh, what can I do today? What can I spend time on? I, I go towards the volunteer work and, and researching. Uh, I'm really interested in military genealogy. And I've discovered that through Stories Behind the Stars. I never knew that I had this interest. <laughs> Um, I always knew I was interested in the human stories behind the people who served in World War II. And, you know, as an American, I, I always had a, a U.S. centric focus on it just from what I was taught and what I was able to study and what resources were available to me. So, of course, Stories Behind the Stars is, is perfect in that regard. You know, Stories Behind the Stars focuses primarily on, on U.S. fallen and missing servicemen and women as opposed to all nationals of other countries that were participated in the conflict. So um, definitely something that I felt like I was somewhat qualified for coming into it, but uh, I, my whole perspective on it has changed since I 
really learned like what genealogy is all about and what it's like to research and write a story on an actual person who served. So you didn't like come in with any genealogy, like any genealogy background? Not at all. Um, I, I've always been like somewhat good at research, but never in a professional sense. Uh, I've always just been good at like going down the rabbit hole on the internet until I find the bit of info that I'm, I'm looking for. So, um, and, and again, I've always just had the interest in World War II history, particularly that of the airborne forces. And I've definitely studied airborne history and how it began before World War II and how the U.S. and, and the United Kingdom, and Germany and Russia and even Japan utilized airborne forces in, in World War II. So that's always been like a little nerdy technical focus that I've had and just something that sort of inspired me to say, hey, maybe I could like learn more about airborne history through researching these guys, which I absolutely have. And I'm happy to go further into how researching one individual can help you learn so much about a particular unit or overall strategy of a particular battle. Yeah, let's jump in. You've, you've given me some stories that you've, you've written. Um, do you want to go ahead and start by telling us the story of um, Robert uh, Hilton? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you actually assigned me that story when I first started, I think you, you sent me that name. I don't know if you remember that. Um, it was, was like one of my first, it was one of my first stories when you were still dealing with like data and whatnot, if I have that correctly. And, um, it, it was such a cool experience because Don lived next door to the brother of the man who I ended up writing about. Um, this man, Robert G. Hilton, uh, he was a corporal and he was killed in the battle of the bulge in January, 1945 in Belgium. And his brother, who is still alive today in his 80s, pure coincidence, Don used to be neighbors with, with this man. Uh, Lawrence Tuff, Tuff Hilton is his name, and he is an absolute great guy, um, brilliant dude, just really great writer, too. He gave me some grammatical fixes. But, yeah, I, I, got to, I got to meet him digitally, you know, over email through Don and through the project. We worked on the story together. I was able to teach him things he didn't know about his brother, and he was able to just provide so much more info on my story that – I couldn't find anywhere on the internet. And that's why I'm so proud of this story. It's why it was the first one I sent you. It's easily the longest one I've written by like a thousand words. <laughs> and um, it, it's pretty extensive, but I learned so much about, about Robert Hilton and almost felt like I knew him and felt such a great connection to his brother, you know, with our age difference today, it was so cool that my research was able allowed me to connect with somebody who I never would have otherwise connected with. And uh, I think we really pieced together some awesome pieces of history that had never been put together. And now this man has a great story about him. So did he die in the Battle of the Bulge? or was, yeah. uh... Robert Hilton was a glider man. He was in the 101st Airborne and um, he survived. So like the... the basically the tin coffins. I mean, the, you know, they weren't made of tin, but they basically wood, wood, t- wood, wood coffins. Wood, yeah. Wood canvas. Yes. Yeah. So to give some context on that, uh, Robert G. Hilton was, uh, he was in the 101st airborne and he would, he was a glider man. So essentially gliders were wooden, non-motorized, non-mechanized aircraft that would be towed behind a C-47, the plane that dropped the paratroopers. They would detach from the tow rope once over the drop zone, drop zone and glide down until they eventually could come to a, crash and hopefully survive and um yeah i mean the glider troops are always they were always looked down upon um by the paratroops in the war and they didn't receive the extra jump pay until later in the war so there was always this bit of a rivalry between the glider troops and the paratroopers but it could be argued that landing in a glider was far more dangerous and way less preferable than landing in a in a parachute so oh yeah oh yeah 
Um, Robert Hilton landed in, uh, he landed in Normandy. He survived the whole Normandy campaign with on the island with the 101st. If anybody's watched Band of Brothers, um, he was involved in all of that and whatnot. He actually uh, received a, somewhere, I want to say it was a silver star. It was either a bronze star or a silver star. I can't remember. Um, during Market Garden for, he was an anti-tank crew gunner. So he he was firing a 40 millimeter slash 57 millimeter. It changed, again, nerdy technical details. Um, he was an anti-tank gunner uh, crewman. So he would, fire shells on a you know a small gun on the ground to hopefully help against armor is the heaviest weapon really that airborne forces could have uh, their light infantry you know they're landing with what they can carry on their backs or in a glider so he uh he was he crewed an anti-take gun and stopped a massive armored assault that really helps the 101st secure their initial objectives at the start of operation market garden if anybody's seen a bridge too far uh, the movie, it's the, the scene where Elliot Gould runs to the bridge and it blows up and the cigars in his mouth. And uh, <laughs> um, So yeah, Robert Hilton was involved there. And then um, he moved into Belgium near in the vicinity of Bastogne in December 1944, where in the Battle of the Bulge began. And um, again, similarly, if you've seen Band of Brothers, you've seen the scenes where they're sitting in the foxholes in the snow and the, the Ardennes forest out there. Um just waiting for an attack, dealing with the misery that and the artillery and the cold. And um, yeah, Robert Hilton was in the woods. He's survived through New Year's. And on January 4th, he was supporting elements of the 101st, the, the parachute regiments moving up through the woods when he was likely killed by either a tank shell or a, a 88 millimeter artillery gun shell. We're not fully sure, but through the story with with uh, Robert's brother, we were able to maybe pinpoint where he was in the forest when he was killed, what particular action happened when he was made a casualty, what unit he was supporting. We got as far as we could with understanding what happened to him, which was some of my favorite parts of, of writing, as dark as it may be. I, I like providing the closure to these stories. So did his brother know any of that? Was this like new to him as well as you were researching it? Brother? Great question. Um, and I can go back and look at our emails and see exactly what happened. So I knew that he had received a bronze star. I'm pretty sure it was a bronze star, but we could not find anything on how he got it or what he did. And it was a bronze star with valor. Um, so, you know, there's various types of awards and he won his for valor in combat. So we knew something significant happened. He did something that gained the attention of a commander. We had no idea what it was. Um, we also didn't know exactly how he was killed and I was able to piece together from some other research by other vet veteran memoirs I've, I've written that made sense. And it, it pointed out, you know, holy crap, this might've been Robert we're, they're talking about here. The neatest part working with, with Lawrence, Robert's brother was we were able to find the order of his, um, accommodation, the, the bronze star with valor turns out that he, Directly after landing in Operation Market Garden, he uh, he was found by the division commander, um, sorry, General General um, Maxwell Taylor, uh, commanding the 101st, himself went out into the landing zones, found this glider anti-tank crew, brought them over to the bridge that they were defending where tanks were already approaching. Um, Robert Hilton and his crew took out some of the tanks and on the spot, the di divisional commander of the 101st awarded his crew of four guys, uh, bronze star for valor. And we could not find that order anywhere on the internet. It doesn't exist. And somehow Lawrence, his brother was able to locate this info from a family record of a family record. 
and we found out how he earned his medal and and where he was. So, and it's crazy to me because I mean, I'm Don's daughter, and we lived in that home for 20 years and uh mr hilton lived like four doors down and i like yeah. waved to him all the time and like you know saw him a lot like he was a really nice guy his wife was really nice i knew her better probably because yeah in the neighborhood and uh but it's just weird to me that, that like someone four doors down for you lost a brother in the battle of the bulge and it's you know like you were talking about all those movies and stuff and and we watched those growing up as kids like you know when they came out we'd watch it my dad's obviously a huge world war ii fan so we watched those right but like um it's it just like blows my mind that someone so close to me uh growing up had such an an, in like huge part in history and i didn't even know it right well said Uh, and uh, i can't even imagine your perspective on this as i'm telling you it because i I do know your don's daughter but i wasn't sure your your context with the house and like how well you knew lawrence or anything um he's been incredibly nice to me he's even sent me um one of their other brothers passed away recently and he he sent me some information on his services and um it's just there's family vibes between us and i'm really grateful for that and so i can't even imagine what it's like to have grown up next to him and hear something like this but yeah lawrence hilton is absolute great guy and um his brother made a huge impact on his unit in the war he was in the uh by the way i didn't i didn't say he was in the 81st anti-aircraft anti-tank um i say battalion in the 101st so that's the 81st AAA, as they call it and a small unit that isn't often recognized i saw i'm sorry i didn't bring it up earlier but yeah um that's what robert hilton was in learned all about that from Lawrence didn't know about the 81st until I worked on this story <laughs> that's so cool are are you involved at all with the parish troopers or is that something that you have done it what? no yeah thanks for asking no personal ties at all despite the, uh, the t-shirt and, you know, <laughs> and all the focus um it's yeah something I, you're passionate about yeah I actually have no friends in the military I, I've never really had the opportunity to meet a ton of people and connect with people that have been paratroopers or just in the military in general. Um, don't come from a military family whatsoever. Um, it's just something that kind of stood out to me. I, I have to admit as a younger kid growing up in the late nineties, early two thousands band of brothers was a massive, massive show for me. That was just something I would resort to either when bored or looking for something, you know, moving to watch. And between, I hate to say it, between Band of Brothers and video games, I started to learn the names of units, of planes, boats, weapons, um, different conflicts. I understood the some of the political context behind World War II through video games, you know, and, and through these TV shows. And Band of Brothers is based on 101st and 2nd Battalion of 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment. So I, I'm just, it was sort of, it made sense for me when I, started applying more of a, a a serious eye to the historical research beyond just like looking for for video games centered around world war ii and just reading forums and whatnot i i, I finally got on twitter d- during the the pandemic and twitter is an amazing resource for the world war ii community because there's authors and historians and battlefield tour guides all across europe and the united states that are there and they're willing to talk to you. They want to connect and they want to teach people things. There's so much great content and you can interact with these people who are, you know, the contemporary voices of world war II right now in terms of how we study the history, who's writing the books, who's holding the, the talks and the live streams and the events. 
So I finally got on Twitter and that really showed me how to approach this with like almost more professional eye and a professional look, especially when it comes to citing your sources, verifying information, making sure things are accurate, like not, not wording things in misleading ways or, or getting sensationalized posts. And, you know, every D-Day or, or uh, September 17th when Operation Market Garden happened or Battle of the Bulge, you'll see a bunch of pictures go around Facebook and social media sort of saying, like, look at the young eyes of these kids landing on D-Day who sacrificed. So we'll never see a generation like this. But those photos will be of, like, kids in a training mission in the United States. You know, just total inaccurate stuff. So, like, learning how to analyze photos for what they really are and understand stories and not just, like, take it for face value as it's seen on the internet, because there's a ton of misinformation out there. And that's a big part of genealogy and, and how we research is weeding through the facts, finding the different ones and trying to understand which is the accurate one and which one has been um, manipulated over <laughs> yeah. decades of time. That's something my grandmother, who's huge in de- genealogy, she's she's always getting so mad. She's like, who was the stupid idiot that put this in? This is not exactly. right. <laughs> exactly. I'm that same person. So your grandma and I get along. Anyway. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so, it's kind of crazy. I don't think many researchers are going to have the opportunity that you did, like jumping in so early into the project to get, you know, a name that, you know, it's like, oh, hey, look into this, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty yeah. unique, uh, pretty unique and awesome story. And but also, like, I feel like something that I think researchers just need to know about is that you don't have to be ex-military. You don't have to be, you know, a genealogical expert. You can Not be. Just uh, somebody who who really likes World War II and wants to jump in and 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 do something to serve, and um, I think that's really awesome to hear your story because so many of the people I have I have interviewed because I think the audience is generally targeted toward that are either you know veterans, yes. uh, which is amazing, or you know or they're you know professional or semi professional genealogists. So to get someone who's just like actually I'm just you know yeah. <laughs> a well, millennial. Ha- <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm happy you brought that up. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, I am a millennial. I grew up in a very liberal community, you know, not a ton of uh, military families or general awareness of the military. Nobody's actually really talking about it. Um, Some of my friends are definitely thrown off by how deep my interest is and how much I really do know and and how passionate I am about it. They're not thrown off in a bad way. It's just taking them by surprise, given how I carry myself and what else I do. You know, I, I work in corporate video production. So nothing particular related, but what I will say about that is there needs to be a bridge between, you know, millennials who grew up with no lens of the armed forces or even what happened in world war II or any other conflict behind that. I really want to help my generation understand what the heck happened before we were around so that we didn't have to do that ourselves. And I'm mind blown every day that I wasn't born in 1920 and turning, you know, 2022 around the time when the U S was invading France. Like I think about that all the time and I compare that to what I'm doing and it makes me want to be a better guy in general, because these dudes and these men and women had to go deal with such terror and horror and, and yeah, terrible things so that we didn't have to. And luckily they were successful 80 something years later. We're still in somewhat of a similar boat, despite all the other conflicts going around the world. You know, they, they solved their problem in those years for us. And I'm grateful for that. And I I think there needs to be a bridge between these communities of like the military community and those who are close to it and those who simply aren't. 
especially. Well, and, and that's what I really love about the, these stories. And as we tell these stories, you know, like, you know, Robert, he was, he was a brother and you met his, his brother, right. You know, he wasn't, you know, like he was an individual and, and it, it humanizes war. I feel like to, in a way in which makes it not just about events and dates and tactics and strategies, but about individual choices in a conflict yeah. worth opposing views, which I feel like that's the world we live in today. I mean, we live in a world where it's like individuals have to make choices in a world where there's so many conflicting views, right? And right. to understand and do research and study about how the greatest generation made these choices, I think it helps me. Like, as I listen to these, like, you know, stories and, and tell them to my kids, it really helps me. Like, you know what? Like, I can make this choice on a personal level and and nobody's going to know about it. You know, just like you're talking about with Robert's like bronze star, like 80 years later, <laughs> you're trying to find it, right? Like you don't really, you know, no, nobody really knew a ton about it. Like, it, but it was, it was an act which happened, which had to happen, needed to happen. And not everybody saw it happen. Um, well said. But it's that's what I really love about these stories, is, and it's just really reaffirms to us. I think, especially as millennials, is is that we can make these choices that have consequences, and they don't have to be this huge, grand, amazing thing. Like it's these individual yep. choices. So, well said. I completely agree. That's a great point. So yeah, I mean, I'm just really happy that Don figured out a way for us to to interface with this history in a way where I can contribute to the conversation, which I've never felt like I could do. So again, like a, a guy with no military background or ties at all, no genealogy or research experience, I'm able to make a contribution to World War II history and the, con the conversation that happens today. Like that's pretty cool. And couldn't do that really without the project, without, you know, maybe a whole career shift and trying to go into research, which would be great one day, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Stories Behind the Stars podcast. If this is content that you enjoy hearing, please do us a huge favor and consider writing a review for us. Um, that really helps us show up in more algorithms and then also just helps people know what exactly is this podcast all about and if it's worth listening to. Um, and then also, if this is something that you love and you want to see this happen more of, please consider volunteering. Um, just like you listened to this story with Brian it doesn't take too much of your time. It's extremely rewarding, and you don't have to be a professional genealogist to do it. Thank you so much, and I hope to see you next episode.